Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. This is John Howell Essential Cuts, your daily rundown of the best of the best from today's show on 890 WLS. It's Oscar time. I'm actually going to be in Los Angeles this uh, weekend. I wonder if any tickets are available. And of course, it's become political again because Ukrainian President Zelensky wanted to appear remotely on the show, but he was denied. Jason Nathanson is working this story from ABC News' Bureau in Los Angeles and joins us via the Magic Box. Jason, why was Zelensky rebuffed? We don't actually know, and I don't know that it's necessarily political. Apparently, he wanted to be a part of the broadcast last year as well and was told no. We've seen him at the Grammys. We saw him at the Golden Globe with Sean Penn uh, do segments, whether they were pre-taped or uh, he come beams in uh, live. Uh, and he wants to get out there to get his message out there about that his country still needs help. And, and you know, what better place than an international stage like some of these award shows? Uh, he's he's savvy in that way. Uh, but my guess is uh, and the, we we had a press conference with the Oscar with the producers yesterday. We didn't know about this yesterday, so we didn't get a chance to ask them. But my guess is that they want to focus on the movies. They don't want to be have anything to do with any kind of war or whatever. If the the winners want to make a statement about that, they can. Uh, but when it comes to the show itself, they want to focus just on the movies. Does the uh, conductor of the orchestra have uh, strict uh, rules to start the uh, get-off-the-stage music about 20 seconds into an acceptance speech? Usually it's about 45 seconds. Um, and... <laughs> They always have the, the, it's always strict. They want to keep to time, and, and that's part of it. Uh, I came up with the plan, uh, and I asked Jimmy Kimmel about it yesterday. <laughs> I said, why don't they just do it like the, like the Super Bowl, right, where it starts at 3 o'clock here on the West Coast and 6 o'clock on the East Coast, and it just goes as long as it goes. Oh, my and goodness. It and it doesn't matter. And then if people want to watch, they watch. And, but then the, the acceptance speeches can be as long as they want. Because who, who cares, yeah. really, at the end of it? What is the most egregious, you know, playing off of a celebrity uh, that you've ever seen in your life or was clearly inappropriate or premature or what have you? Oh, geez, there have been so many of them. I I, I honestly can't think of one right now, but it, it happens all the time, and it happens usually at a very emotional point where they bring up, the, like, <laughs> I just want to thank my dead mother, and then the music kind of swells. Yeah. Frank Sinatra, I don't know, maybe it was the Grammys, the Oscars, I can't remember. Big award show. Frank was at the end of his career accepting some sort of Lifetime Achievement Award. And he got out there, and, you know, Frank's Frank. And he was taking a little longer than most, and they started playing off Frank Sinatra. And I think the orchestra conductor feared for his life for a time after that. <laughs> yeah, sure, I could imagine. You don't want to tick him off. Uh, Jason Nathanson is here. He's uh, out in Los Angeles. We're talking a bit about the Oscars, which is now... Kind of gone political with Zelensky. Um, are they doing anything to prevent the rushing of the stage and possible fisticuffs this year? 
yes and no. Um, I, again, I asked Jimmy Kimmel about that. He said he has not seen any. Uh, you would expect that there would be some kind of something in place. Uh, they said it. The producer said yesterday that they have, and these producers, Glenn Weiss and Ricky Kirshner, have they've done everything from inaugurations to. Uh, political conventions to any kind of big live tv show they've done it and they've done the oscars several times as well and they said usually when you know when it's something like that they've dealt with secret service and things like that there's a security side of things and hopefully if all goes well you never see that um but there are things in place to uh to kind of make sure that that doesn't happen again and this is year one of will smith's 10-year ban it is year one of Will Smith's 10-year ban. So what's interesting is that usually the best actor from the year before will then present best actress at the show. Well, this year, he, best actor, Will Smith, he won that last year, and he is banned from this year. So the producers, Ricky Kirshner, was asked, so what, what are you going to do? If that's the tradition, what are you going to do? There is no more. This is what we used to do. We've rethought the show, and uh, we've put presenters together that make sense for the categories and uh, you'll see Sunday night. So it sounds to me like they kind of abandoned that whole thing uh, completely and they'll just have presenters doing whatever presenters do. It seems like that'd be a good opportunity for Zelensky there. He could volunteer. Okay. If you don't want me just out there free, you know, riffing, I will uh, freestyling. I will just present the uh, best uh, picture award. How about that? Or best I, I don't, I don't think that's what he wants to be there doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, actually, I was talking with a friend of mine today who was uh, saying, it is so wrong not to let him. And I, I said, no, because it would be, it's essentially becomes a telethon then for Zelensky. And not that we don't want to support the Ukrainian people. That's a whole different subject. But we, we can find more appropriate venues than the Oscar to do so. Is, did I see, uh, Jason, that the red carpet is no longer red? Correct. For the first time since 1961, the red carpet is now champagne. It is a light. Well, if you if you if you look on social media and you talk to some of my colleagues who have seen it, um, it is champagne or it is beige or it is flesh colored. Um, there are lots of different words being used to describe it. Um, some are saying that it's weird. Some are saying that it just doesn't look as classy or as nice. I can say, having seen it in person already, um, it looks just fine. It doesn't look. There are no immediate problems. It doesn't look bad from what I see, uh, but it's different. It's change, and you know people react in all different kinds of ways to change. Is it true? I heard this on another program. Is it true that the uh, beige carpet reporters, when asking celebrities, they should no longer say "What are you wearing?" Instead, they should say something like "What story are you telling with your outfit?" Um, I mean. However, people want to do that. It's become less and less of a thing to say, what are you wearing, to talk about fashion in the old ways that we used to talk about fashion, in the kind of uh, empty ways, I think, that a lot of people talk about makeup and fashion and jewelry and things like that. Um, there are stories that people are trying to tell with the stuff that they're wearing, whether, whether or not they're wearing something from a uh, designer who typically has not gotten the opportunity or is from a marginalized community or jewelry that's from you know sustainable stuff and things like that there are there are reasons people pick what they wear and why they wear it 
yeah. um, which is often much more interesting than just, you know, I liked the color. So if you want to if you're the kind of reporter who's into getting that information, um, then, you know, I think there's a story to get there. I'm not that kind of reporter. I don't usually ask about that kind of stuff, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. but we'll see. Maybe I will ask that. This oh, no, year no, no. please don't. Please on the beige don't. carpet. Please don't. Um, and finally, uh, uh, my son and I may want to attend. How much are those tickets going to cost us on the open market? Um, I don't know that you can buy tickets to the Oscars. Uh, those are usually they're, they're given out by publicists or given out to by the Academy um, to publicists and, you know, the certain people that they want there. Uh, I've actually never looked into the, whether or not you can just buy those tickets. So oh, yeah. uh, maybe I'm, check that out. Maybe my, uh, <laughs> my Hollywood connections other than you are nil. Yeah, I'd be I'd be very wary of just paying a random guy on Craigslist. So if if you're gonna do that, I would I would suggest maybe don't do that. I, I'll I'll take your suggestion, Jason. Thank you very much for the time. Much appreciated, sir. You're listening to John Howell Essential Cuts on eight ninety WLS. What's up, folks? Anthony Armstrong here. Bob Popple, along with Super Bowl champion Carl Banks. Hey, NFL fans. This is Solomon Wilcox, former NFL safety and host of the Believe in Bengals podcast. Catch my show and all 32 Believe NFL podcasts. Listen in to former players give their inside perspective on your favorite team. Search Believe, that's B-L-E-A-V, on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. It's always football season, wherever you listen. Kim Commando is the best in the business. You hear her show Friday nights at 7, Saturday and Sunday, 9 until midnight. She is America's digital goddess. I also recommend commando.com. I check it at least once a week sometimes just to pick up uh, tips. I check it at least once a week, sometimes more, if for no other reason to pick up tips on how to keep my electronic devices running well and hopefully safe. Reading from one of her articles, I have a rule. If discussing something via email is going to take paragraphs and paragraphs, I just pick up the phone instead. Also, another way I keep my inbox clean is by archiving all my message messages at the start of the year. Let's start there with Kim Commando. Kim, how do we get that done? Well, can I tell you my trick? Please. It's not a pretty one. Is that at the beginning of the year, I look at my inbox and it normally has like, I don't know, 50,000 messages, and I just, I select them all. I create a folder, and and I put it, say, like 2022, and I move them all in there, and I start with a clean slate every January. And I fear if I miss something, they're going to call, they're going to email me back. But you're, it's easy to get overwhelmed in email. Email is something, like, it's, it's kind of like radio. They keep saying, you know, radio is going to die, and they keep saying email is going to die, but it just never does. It just keeps multiplying. And so... <laughs> So with, with email, you know, like you're, like you said, you have a couple of different addresses. You have your primary address for your family and friends and an address for that you use only for newsletters, one that you use for shopping and so on. It's really easy to create these disposable email addresses. Like, for example, if you have a Gmail account and let's say it's Big John, the handsomest guy in Chicago at gmail.com. That's exactly, sorry, I I that's exactly what I it is. Oh, I'm sorry. I just gave out your personal email address. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, but if you wanted to have a, an alias with that, it's a new email address, you'd just say Big John, uh, the, the most handsomest guy in Chicago, plus Kim Commando at Gmail. It, Gmail ignores anything after the plus sign. So once you do that, then you start setting up filters. And so you can do it by, uh, by the sender, by the recipient. 
And typically it's going to be by the sender so that this way, if you get email from your boss, it goes into one, you get email from your mother-in-law, it goes into the junk folder. I mean, you know, you have a def- different folder for your family. And so you kind of get the drift and so that this way you can do it. I also have another thing that I do with email with all of my staff. If I ever ask them to do something, um, I respond back with just, I ask them to respond back with one word, done to let me know that it's done. Mm-hmm. But you want to, do you want to hear something about email with Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon? Love to. You know what he does is that what he does is that if he gets an email complaint or from a, a member of his staff or even a customer, he forwards that to the department head of whoever has to get it. And he puts in one character. That's all just one character. He forwards it to them and he puts a question mark. That's all he says. Like, that's just a question mark. So I've started doing that with my team. And oh my gosh, it works so great. Instead of saying, hey, when you have time, check this out and let me know what happens. You just use a question mark. That's it. Talking here with Kim Commando. She's giving us some advice. And the next thing is a little bit more serious than just keeping your email straight. I I heard you talking about this on your show. And I think it's up at your website, commando.com. The one security step you should not ever skip on either Windows or your Mac. What is that? Um, You know, it's super important is that when you're not there, and a lot of people don't do this, is that you lock your PC. Because what happens when you do walk away is that somebody can just hit the space bar and then suddenly they have access to everything that you're doing. And so it's really simple. Um, Like on uh, Windows PC, you're just going to hit the Windows key and the L, and then it'll just lock in one step. And then if you're on a Mac, it's the command key L. So just remember those two keystrokes. So whenever you get up, but over on the website, we have ways that you can actually set it up. So if you're not using your computer, say, longer than, or your laptop or tablet, even, uh, if you're not using it longer than, say, a couple of minutes, that it will automatically lock itself. And so that's super important. Kim, I appreciate your time. I'll be listening uh, tomorrow night at 7 and then Saturday and Sunday, 9 until midnight. I think you do a terrific job, and the website's fantastic, too, commando.com. Thank you, Big John, the most handsomest guy in Chicago. At gmail.com. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this is John Howell, Essential Cuts on 890 WLS. Bronson Arroyo, when the uh, Red Sox won. In 2004, he was part of that team. I spent a number of years in Boston, and I saw some of the heartache. Bill Buckner, uh, Bucky F. and Dent. And I was glad when uh, the Boston Red Sox won the World Series. And then in quick, uh, the the, uh, Sox won the next year. I mean, our Sox. It was just terrific. 2004, 2005. Oh, just great. And the Cubs, just a couple years before that, of course, Barman. But uh, it was a nice run there. So I remember Bronson Arroyo from his pitching with... uh, uh, the Red Sox, but he had a 17-year career, and like Jack McDowell of the White Sox, uh, who pitched on the South Side in that, that Frank Thomas team from the great pitching uh, crew back in those days uh, on the South Side, the early 90s, and I think they would have gone to the playoffs for sure, maybe won the whole thing in 94 had they not gone on strike. I remember uh, Jack McDowell had a band, and he was a fine singer-songwriter. I have no idea. I used to talk to Jack quite regularly in the old days. I have no idea if that band is still together. But you remember, and I played a little bit of this earlier, you remember uh, Bronson uh, is uh, a very, very skilled musician, but he was just a great pitcher. What a difference and what a surprise Arroyo has been. Maybe uh, 
the biggest surprise individually in the game. That one is taken to center field. Beltran is back there, has the beat on it, and the Mets center fielder puts it away. Pudge Rodriguez retired two down. Pudge Rodriguez, I remember him. He was terrific. Uh, pitched 17 years in uh, Major League Baseball. The Reds, Red Sox, Pirates, Diamondbacks, 148 regular season victories, 1,500-plus strikeouts, and World Series champion with, uh, with Boston back in 2004. Tyler, do you by chance have uh, guerrilla warfare over there? The hook? No? Okay, I do then. Let me just give you a, a bit of uh, Bronson Arroyo's musical ability. Tim time and uh, in tune. I can vouch for that. I like it. Let's welcome uh, Bronson Arroyo to WDLS Radio in Chicago. Bronson, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. How you doing, John? I'm doing very well. Have you always uh, been musically inclined? You know, I didn't pick it up till I was 22. I was in Double A with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Somebody handed me an acoustic guitar. But I'd had music around my house all my whole life, but nothing. I hadn't got bitten by the bug yet until I was 22. That's late to start. Yeah, it's it's really late. You know, it's still to this day why I don't feel that comfortable with a guitar in my hand when I'm performing. But but, um, you know, I felt like it was something that now is, is, is something I can dig into for the rest of my life. You know, I can't play baseball forever, but it feels like you can, uh, if Springsteen can stand up on the stage at 75 and sing, I think I can too. <laughs> well, you know, be careful who you compare yourself with, with all due respect. <laughs> That's true. <Okay>. That's true. <laughs> so, I should have said Greg Maddox, huh? Well, Maddox, I don't, know, I don't know about his music, but boy, that guy, in fact, I was talking with our de facto sports director yesterday about your career on the air, and he said, you know, control guy, uh, you know, is always prepared, very meticulous, hit every corner of the plate. And I said, like Greg Maddox, and he said, exactly. So that's that's a guy that I think is worth comparing yourself to. Yeah, well, he was he was my favorite growing up, you know, just watching him doing what he did. But, I mean, to put up some of the ERAs he did in the mid-'90s, I mean, with an 88-mile-an-hour fastball is just absolutely ridiculous. Cubs didn't need him. No, he – I tell you what, they that it would have been very interesting to see what would have happened if he would have stayed on that team as he flowered, man, because he really just – I mean, he was the most dominant pitcher in the game there for probably a handful of years, and to say that from a guy who wasn't a power pitcher is almost impossible to do. Was uh, He went to Atlanta, obviously, Bobby Cox, with that pitching staff. Is that one of the great pitching staffs in Major League Baseball history, Atlanta? Oh, absolutely. I mean, Tom Glavin had 300 wins. John Smoltz is in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you've got three, three Hall of Famers in the same rotation, and you've got two guys doing it with less than a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, which is just unheard of. You know what I mean? That, that, those guys... To have that big three, to, that, it's the only reason they won 15 titles in a row. You know, There's no way to do that without that kind of a pitching staff. I think Smol- uh, Smoltz is one of the best analysts on TV. I love him, too. I hear once in a while somebody say something like they don't enjoy him, but for me, he gives a side of the game that you don't hear from anybody else, and he gives a real, he gives a real like diagnosis of what it's like to be on the field. Did you, when you were a teenager, like, yeah, I know you, you were born in Key West, and your, your music does not sound very Jimmy Buffett-like. No, yeah, I think, uh, you know, by the time I moved out of the Keys when I was 10, I was listening to music, you know, listening to the Mamas and the Papas and all the oldies, you know, Elton John mm-hmm. and, and James Taylor and stuff. But it was like 92 when that Pearl Jam record came out, Nirvana and Soundgarden and Alice in Chains, everything out of Seattle 
for some reason, it just really got under my skin. It just felt like something that was speaking to me. And so when I did start playing the acoustic guitar and started playing open mic nights or singing a little karaoke around the campfire, those were the songs I wanted to, to sing. And I'm sure you can hear some of those influences on the record. And, um, you know, these days, there's not a lot of rock records out, which is kind of a bummer. But, um, you know, I felt like that was something I had to put out. Talking here with uh, Bronson Arroyo and the O4. They have a new album out. Some might say it's available now on Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your uh, music. Pitched 17 years in the majors, uh, Red Sox, Pirates, Cincinnati Reds, and the Diamondbacks. I was reading some of your uh, notes, some of the biographical notes on you. I didn't realize that you grew up playing baseball with one of our favorites, at least one of my favorites from the World Series White Sox team, A.J. Przinsky. That's right. Yeah, people don't know that because he moved he moved to Orlando and wind up going to Dr. Phillips High School, which is where Johnny Damon graduated after our sophomore year. So AJ, I played against him at 10, 11, and 12 years old, and he was my catcher when I was 13 years old. And to have to have two guys both do have 15 years in the big leagues, both playing at the 2006 All-Star Game together from this tiny little little league. This is before travel ball. This is when you're playing on Saturdays for Dairy Queen or you know Sunbank or whoever in your local town. Um, it's pretty remarkable. Do you remember that he and I, I don't know who he was playing at or who we were playing during that run? We only lost one playoff game back in 2005, but AJ Przinsky had the wherewithal to run to first base instead of getting tag, a tag third out or something, and it kept the rally going, I always thought he was like a real, a, 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 a real big part of that team for obvious reasons. Yeah, you know, his career was fantastic. I mean, he was a guy who not only did he, was he durable as a catcher, but he was hard to strike out. He put the ball in play. You know, he was always known as a bit of a trash talker back there, which was part <laughs> of the, you know, strategy. Yeah. And, and uh, but if you just look at his career, I mean, from top to bottom, man, it, I mean, if anybody had thought about playing Major League Baseball and you take A.J., AJ's career. I mean, you, you take it in a heartbeat. I mean, he's an absolute stud. We're talking music and uh, Major League Baseball with Bronson Arroyo. Who was the uh, who's the guy that punched him right in the face? Was it a catcher or was it a batter? I can't remember where AJ is. Yeah, I think that was Barrett, the catcher from the Cubs. That's right. It was Barrett. Yeah, Matt Barrett. Michael Barrett. My, Michael Barrett. Michael Barrett. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got a great picture of Michael Barrett too from 2006. I I, I keep the picture because. My old center fielder Ryan Frio wind up uh, committing suicide, mm. but he's he's in the photo there. I it was, it was the beginning of '06. I hit the second home run off the Cubs off Glennon Rush, and I'm coming around, and Michael Barrett's looking at me, and you can see Dusty Baker in the dugout shaking his head <laughs> like, "What is going on in here?" <laughs> oh, um, so you didn't start playing guitar until you were 22 years old, which I find uh, stunning that you sound as good as you do in singing and songwriting, and you already mentioned your influences. I also mentioned to my listeners, I don't know if you heard this, but Jack McDowell, a great major league pitcher, he had a really good band here and other places back in the early '90s. Are you familiar with his music? Oh yeah, I remember Stick Figure for sure. Yeah, they they played. You know, it was a really full circle moment one night, 2013. It's the night the Red Sox win the World Series again, and I'm after a Pearl Jam show. It's me and Eddie Vedder and Jack McDowell in this room watching the Red Sox. You know, get the last couple of outs on that team with Johnny Gomes and. uh and we started talking, and Jack had brought this newspaper article that he had been – he went to the hospital, and Eddie got arrested because they got in this bar fight in 1992, and he had the newspaper article there. And then I said, Jack, do you remember the first time I ever played music in public was at a, a Theo Epstein charity event? I said, I played your guitar, and I jumped up and played Black by Pearl Jam. And it, it was like this this strange like full-circle moment of all three of us sitting in the room and talking about these old stories. But I do remember Jack – as, as a musician, and it, it's you know it's one of the few guys that ever played in the major leagues that you heard of that had like a real band, you know, yeah, serious player. 
Is your album, the first one from 2005, covering the bases still out there? Can you find that as well? Yeah, you can probably find that on Amazon. Um, or if, you know, I've got my own Pandora station that spins it quite often, but, <laughs> but, uh, but that, that record, yeah, was a bunch of, was a bunch of cover songs that I loved as a kid. And, you know, this one is, this one, I feel is like my, my, yeah. my, my yeah. first true record, because these, these stories came out of my mind from front to back. You know, these, these songs are all kind of created by the guys in the band and produced by ourselves as well. 10 uh, songs, the album's out now. Some might say collection of, uh, 10 originals. And uh, great musicians too, as well with uh, terrific backgrounds. You, you, are you guys touring? That, that's probably not something you want to get into at this point in your life, is it? Well, you know, I'd love to if if things worked out, but it's you know it's tough, man. Two of the guys in this band are playing, you know, in big bands like Miley Cyrus and Melissa Etheridge, and they're out on the road a lot. And also, a new act doesn't get paid a whole lot, so yeah, you know, monetarily, it's it's tough. Like I get to play in a cover band around Cincinnati, and we try to keep it you know, simple and we play for, you know, three thousand, thirty five hundred dollars and everybody makes seven hundred bucks or something and go home at night and it's and you sleep in your own bed, it's great. But you go out on tour and you go to a rock show and they're you know, you they're charging twelve dollars a ticket and you fill the place up and you still walk out with a fifteen hundred dollar check and guys are losing money. You know, it's it's tough. So we're trying to to find festivals that we can that make sense for us. And so we're playing next Sunday in Tampa at Raymond James Stadium. Uh that one's being headlined by Dave Matthews and the Imagine Dragons, and we're going to be playing there on March 19th. That's called Innings Festival. We just played at one of those in Arizona with Eddie Vedder. And, uh, well, that's that, how that to do it. Well. Yeah, pick so. and choose. And, and, you know, the music sounds terrific. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of getting out there in, in the right venues. And uh, it's nice meeting you. I'd like to talk baseball with you for an hour, but I have to go. All right, man. Appreciate and, it. And music, too. I admire the music. So, uh, Bronson Arroyo, continued success. Please stay in touch, and I hope we can call on you again. Thanks, John. Take care. You're listening to John Howell, Essential Cuts, on 890 WLS. Every week, Michael Rosenbaum is getting deep with someone new on the Inside of You podcast. Let's get inside of Shelly Hennig. So Obliterated's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I had the best time. It was challenging, but it was like the show doesn't always happen. Everybody's trying to make a show and you're not. This was a dream. It's no fun. Genuinely. And if it wasn't, I would just keep my mouth shut and talk about something else. Like, it was. Hey, it was fine. Because I've done that. I've asked people and they're like, you know. Yeah. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Wherever you listen. I have this segment I like to do, and a lot of times we feature businesses here in Chicago, talent deserving wider recognition. People start businesses, maybe restaurants and bars, and we like to give them a little uh, love, uh, kind of spread the word. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, I used to write a lot of handwritten notes, and then I got this thing added on to my buffet of uh, misery, physical ailments. Uh, um, I got this thing called essential shakes. My mother had them as well. It's not, not as bad as Parkinson's, but it, uh, it kind of ended my uh, writing a lot of thank you notes. And I always wanted to do so. I, I think it's really special to do that. And now I, I write type emails, emails out to people or just leave them a voicemail or what have you. But I really miss writing notes. So I, I saw this, and I just want to introduce you to the guy who thought about this. Handwritten was founded to fill an unmet need, making handwritten notes as easy to send as an email. Somebody had to come up with the technology, and it involves robots and AI. And it's, I guess, a Phoenix-based company. They started about 10 years ago, and they're up to 175 robots and counting. And essentially, it's custom-designed handwriting robots, or they, they use custom-designed handwriting robots that take real pens to real paper, and you can send it to whoever you want. And if you want to make a substantial investment... They'll take samples of your handwriting, 
and then the AI will come up with a concept. You approve it, and off it goes in a real envelope with a real stamp. Looks like you did it. The only giveaway, well, there's only really one giveaway. So with that, I'll let uh, David Walks explain what the giveaway is down the line. He's the founder and CEO of Handwritten. David, my compliments. This is a great idea. Ten years ago, how did you see a need at that time for this kind of product? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show, John. Um, first of all, while I am in Phoenix, my heart's still in Chicago. I spent, the, I spent 16 formative years there and actually started Handwritten while living in Chicago. Um, but what, in what neighborhood? Time, what industry were you there? What? Uh, I was in Lakeview at the time, um, walking distance from Wrigley Field. It was, mm-hmm. it was great, and I was doing um, text messaging. I had my last company in Chicago. Uh, we were a large text messaging provider, and when I exited that company back in 2014, I realized you know we had kind of ridden the wave of 10 years of text. And in in that time, the uh, iPhone came out and things changed very, very rapidly. Um, And by the by the end of the company, I thought, you know, we're all inundated with electronic communication, whether it's text messages, which I was guilty of, or email or Slack and Twitter and Facebook messages and, and all the rest. And when I'd walk into my employees' offices, I'd see handwritten notes on their bookshelves behind them. And then on my own house, I'd see handwritten notes magnetized to the fridge. And I thought, gee, if there was only an easy way to do this, because I'm certainly too lazy to do it the yeah. old-fashioned way. Well, yeah, I so mentioned, I mentioned why I used to do it. I, I would do it for guests on the show. I'd do it for relatives and family members and, and uh, you know, friends and family members. But I got away from it just because my handwriting went in the tank. So... I, when I saw this, I thought this is a great idea. I want to pass this on to my listeners. So describe, you can start at $3.75. And if you want it done in your own handwriting, it's a lot more expensive. But let's start with the, the, yeah. more, the, 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 the better value here. Pricing starts at $3.25. You, yep. you essentially write the message out or type the message out, send it to your company. Then a robot... I guess AI gets involved here, so they may jazz up the message a little bit. You approve that, then a real robot, real robot, that's a redundant, yep. but a robot takes a real pen and puts it in a real paper. You send in a real envelope with a real stamp, uh, addressed, uh, does, does not look like it's uh, mass-produced, which it's not, but it doesn't even look like it's uh, produced mechanically or electronically, and then your recipient gets a handwritten note from you. Yeah, that's right. And uh, to your point on the giveaway, the only giveaway that I know of, and maybe you're thinking of something else, is the postmark yes. is from Phoenix, Arizona, that's because it. that's where we're from. Mm-hmm. But what I'll say is that most people are so thrilled that you sent them a handwritten note because the, you know, the average person only gets like one handwritten piece of mail a month now or something crazy that they'll look past that. And if that's really a big issue and you're doing all, you know, notes in bulk, we can always UPS them to you ready to go with postage on, and then you just dump them in the mail from your local post, you know, to get your local postcode. But, yeah, we use AI. Um, so we've been doing robotics for six, six years or so. We started with an off-the-shelf machine when we first started, and then it didn't look real enough, so we started building our own. And uh, we've been doing that for six years, and then we started incorporating AI maybe – uh, two years, a year and a half ago, to to kind of make the handwriting worse, 
Um, (laughs) That was the reason. We put out a big press release and email. Now, handwriting, worse than ever. And what we were doing was we started warping the... We had always jittered the left margin so that it it didn't look like you were writing with a straight edge down the side of the page. Uh And we jittered the inner line spacing so it didn't look like you were writing on ruled paper. But people still thought it looked a little too perfect. Um, so we started warping the text. So it looked like you were trying very hard to write sta- uh, straight, but, but, uh, you know, weren't doing the world's best job. You were doing a, a minus job. And that's what you see now on our notes. But in addition to that AI, uh, just real briefly, we use AI in two other spots, but, um, besides the warping, we use it for the QA. So, um, we make sure every note is reviewed before sending it off just in case the pen runs out of ink or anything like that. And we use computer vision models to, to check the note there. But what's more exciting and kind of in line with everything going on today in ChatGPT is we've incorporated that ChatGPT technology we go. into our, into yeah. our service. So, uh. you know, we had taken everything off else off your plate, right? Like, you just give us your message, and then we, uh, we, we write it on robots and stamp it and mail it and include your gift card or your business card, whatever, and then mail it off. Now you don't even have to <laughs> tell us what to write, and it's crazy how good it is. You just say, you know, write a thank you note to, to John for having me on his radio show, and, <laughs> yeah. then, and in fact, I'll do that after the show, and then it'll come up with a lovely message just for you. I hit send, and uh, it's off. So. Uh, th- that technology, and you know, I can't take credit for it. We just tap into the minds behind. It's going to change. It's going to change everything, especially scholastically. Yeah. I mean, there's some hurdles there, but uh, to involve AI in composing your message, just based on you know giving AI kind of a template. I mean, it's you, you better embrace it. Don't don't push it away because it's the new way of the world. Evolve or die. So. Get used to it, and the people that will be successful are the people that embrace it and make it as personalized as possible. Yeah, and, and um, you know, I felt that um, this would be a really good use for it. I mean, there's a lot of kind of gimmicky uses, but I thought, gee, I would use this, and if I would use it, I bet other people would. So it, it was shockingly easy to integrate into our platform, and it's, you know, and hey, it got me on your radio show, so. Well, I, I so saw it. it. So it works. I saw it. I thought I'd like to talk to this guy. Handwritten, which is H-A-N-D-W-R-Y-T-T-E-N, is that the website as well, I assume? Yes, handwritten.com with a Y. Are you, uh, by chance, uh, publicly traded? Uh, we're not. We're, uh, <laughs> thank you, but we're way too small for that. But, yeah, it's, uh, we do about, on a good day, 10,000 notes, um, you know, up to 15,000. Um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's interesting how much work goes into writing, writing those notes and the amount of care and all that. But, mm-hmm. And it's, it's across the line. Like, to your point, you can start for 325 if you don't care that it, on the back of the note it says it has our handwritten logo. If you want to keep that your secret, those notes start at 375 and you can even um, add your logo or right. a photo or whatever to a card for a little yeah, bit that's more. that's so great. And, and then if I want my signature, that's an upcharge. And if I want mm-hmm. my handwriting replicated by your AI, as I send you a sample of my handwriting, it literally will be my shaky handwriting. Yeah, so um, the signatures are very quick and easy. Uh, you know, it, it's a simple process. Um, you mentioned the investment on the handwriting. The handwriting, there, you know, it does go through the AI for the writing, but it also requires artists, our fonts, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, font designers, to spend a solid week 
working on it. So that's why it costs uh, $1,000 or $1,250. Because what we do is we don't just replicate one lowercase a. We replicate five or six of them so that we get a good uh, variation. And then we also look at ligature combinations. So how do you cross two T's together? Do you use one crossbar or two? You know, how do you connect two O's in a word like I, look? I always know? put a little smiley face uh, on every eye. Can I do that too? Yeah, there you go. Okay. And, and, and a little flower, yeah, on the <laughs> other eyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. David walks, by, by the way, since you lived up here, I have a buddy of mine. He's retired now, but he's in the construction business. Uh, you're, do you have any relatives uh, on the in northern suburbs in Chicago? Um, I don't have any relatives in the northern suburbs, but uh, it's funny. I heard your uh, your sponsor of David Hochberg. He did my mortgage in Chicago, so <laughs> okay, that guy is prevalent. He sure is. Uh, David, congratulations! I think it's a great idea. I hope you make a ton. John Howell Essential Cuts. Check back every weekday for another episode of John Howell Essential Cuts on eight ninety WLS. Afford Anything is a podcast that teaches you how to be smart with your money. As a small business, you don't have the resources to pay the level of overhead and for the level of services that a Fortune 500 company could afford. So I certainly understand why, if you want to offer benefits, the providers of that, that that fee is going to be higher because there's more account management per employee. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.